James chapter number 1, I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. The Word of God says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now notice verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let's pray together tonight. Heavenly Father, I'd ask that you'd bless your word this evening. Lord, we know that you can give unction and power in the preaching and in the listening in such a way that our hearts would be open, that our souls would be affected, and Lord, that ourselves would be submitted to you. And we ask you to accomplish it. Lord, we ask if there's one amongst us that's lost and undone, show them their need of Calvary. And I pray they'd come to know you before it's everlasting too late. Lord, we love you tonight. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we've read this short ensemble of verses, there is an overwhelming thought that I find, and it's there in verse number 8, where the Bible says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now, you may say, well, what is a double-minded man? Well, now, I'm going to give you a deep answer here. It's a man that's two-minded. Amen? Does that make sense to you? He's got a mind one way, then he's got a mind another way. And you may have seen people like this before. Uh, one minute they're serving God, the next minute they're not serving God. One minute they're talking about all the things they want to do for God. The next moment they're giving up on God, and they're double-minded in the way that they're living. And this is the theme of these few verses. Now, if some of you might say, well, now, whoa, wait a minute, preacher, we're talking about praying for wisdom. And I would agree with you that the context does speak of wisdom in verse number 5. But notice what's said in verse number 7. It says, uh, let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. You see, the fact is, being double-minded can affect not only just your prayer that God would give you wisdom, but every single prayer that you might have. Could I be honest with you tonight, and could I say that there's lots of folks that have been praying for a long time about matters, and uh, they think they're waiting when really they're uh, just being double-minded. Now, you say, well, preacher, that's harsh. You know, that's mean. That's judgmental. No, I'm just telling you what the Word of God says here. It says that if we are double-minded, that can cause God to not be able to answer in our life. You say, well, why, why is that? I would say, first off, because their relationship is unstable. Do you realize that if your relationship with Jesus Christ isn't what it ought to be, we can't expect for our prayers to be getting through for God to be able to answer? Now, some of you immediately are going to say, oh, well, I thought that my standing with God was based upon the free work of Christ on Calvary. You're very, very right about that. There's nothing we do to earn salvation, nothing we can do to cast it off. I've heard some people say, well, you know, he'll spew you out. Well, he's not in, uh, you're not in his mouth, you're in his hand. And he said, no man shall be able to pluck him out of my father's hand. And I've 
I've heard some people say, well, I'll, you know, I'll just get myself out of his hand. Well, the Bible says that he uh, measured out the, sp- the universe in the span of his hand. It's going to take you a while, amen? That's an awful big hand. And what I'm saying is that uh, there is no question that our salvation is based simply upon the free and uh, full work of Christ upon Calvary. But now listen now, our fellowship with him can be affected by the way that we live. Why do you think the Bible says that if we uh, confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness? John's speaking there, and he does not say if you confess your sins. He says if we confess our sins. John's speaking about himself just like he's speaking about you. And he says, sometimes I get sin in my life and it creates a barrier, it creates a wedge between me and the Savior and it must be dealt with. Now, uh, when we get sin in our life, it does not mean we're not His child anymore, but it does mean that there is a wedge, there is something in between us and the Savior that must be dealt with. I'm thankful it can still be dealt with by the blood of Calvary. I'm thankful we don't have to fix it with our own good works, but we need to understand that the way we live can affect our fellowship with Jesus Christ. So the Bible's saying that this uh, person that cannot receive these things, the Lord, or the reason that they cannot receive them is because their relationship is unstable. And I see three things just very quickly. I would say that first off, it's because their confidence is unstable. Look what it says uh, there in verse number six. It says, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Now, this seems overly simplistic tonight. Look, and I say that when we pray, if we're going to uh, get things from God, we're going to have to believe Him. We're going to have to believe that He's able. We're going to have to believe, if we have no reason to believe otherwise, we're going to have to believe that He's willing. And you say, oh, I don't know about that preacher. Well, listen to what Mark chapter 11 says in verse 22. It says, And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, or shall, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. We have to believe that God's able and willing to answer in a matter. Now you say, well, preacher, what if God is not willing to answer? We have to be surrendered and submitted in that case. But that does not mean that we go around with this kind of, you know, you've met people like this, haven't you? A a perpetual pessimist. You ever met anyone like this? It doesn't matter what's going on. You you walk up to them, they're they're glummy and they're, I mean, they're, uh, they're, they're, the rain cloud won't even hang around over them because it's too depressing. And and you're you're walking around, you look at them, you say, beautiful day, isn't it? Probably going to rain later, you know? Or you look at them and you say, how are you feeling? They'll say, pretty good for now. Well, how are you doing? Well, I guess I'm all right for the time being. Like they're expecting things to go to pieces at any moment. You know, a lot of times we're like that with our prayer life. We go before the Lord and we say, God, I'm asking you for this. Lord, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth that I do believe you're able to do this, and I do have a desire to do this, and I do know that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variables, neither shadow of turning. Lord, I'm asking you for this. And then in our hearts we're thinking, but you ain't going to give it to me. Now, I'm not talking about name it and claim it tonight. I'm not talking about putting words in God's mouth. I'm saying this, if it's important enough to pray over, it's important enough to believe God over. We see that their confidence is unstable. But I would say not only their confidence, we see their commitment is unstable. It speaks of this double-minded man. And notice what it says there uh, in verse number 6. It says, For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind 
and tossed. You can picture it in your mind, can't you? As a ship is out upon the sea and uh, the waves and the wind begin to pile up against it and it has no ability to stay in one place. It's just back and forth and back and forth just by the whim of what the wind does. One minute it's here, one minute it's there, one minute it's here, one minute it's there. You know, can I say sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because we're not committed to Him. And you say, whoa, preacher, I don't believe that. Well, let me tell you, you remember what it was like when you was growing up and you'd get in trouble? And a lot of times, if you was like me, today they, they ground kids. Uh, when, I, when, uh, when I was growing up, they ground them into the ground, amen, <laughs> you know. And that was just the way it was. But we didn't have this word ground. I mean, I don't know, I guess kids on TV had the word grounding, but it, it didn't exist in my house. Grounding was what you automatically were after you got a whipping. It didn't have to be said. I mean, Daddy would whip me or, or whip my brother or whip my sister. And then afterwards, we just, I mean, we, we weren't so dumb as to ask for anything because we knew we wouldn't get it, you know? You know why we knew that? Because we knew that if he had given it to us, he would have been condoning what we had done wrong. See, when we've been living wrong, God can't allow these things to happen in our life. He's got to make us understand that we've done something wrong that has harmed us, that is separating us from Him in a sense. He's got to get it across to us. You say, that's cruel and harsh. No crueler or harsher than a parent that does that. You see, God understands that we have to see the danger in sin and the effect of sin in our lives. And so if we're not committed to Him and living for Him, He's not going to sit there and answer every prayer and just uh, shower us with all these blessings and flood us with all these good things. Because pretty soon we'll get to think, well, I can live however I want, and God doesn't care. Their commitment has to be stable. But I would say also their conduct has to be stable. Notice what it says very carefully. It says, For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his... Now say it with me. All his what? All his ways. What does that mean when it says ways? It means his walk. In every facet of his life, he's unstable. Can I share something with you tonight? And me and Brother Brand were talking about this the other day. Uh, you've heard people make this statement before. You've heard people say, well, God helps those that help themselves. You ever heard someone say that? And that, that's, that's not entirely true. There is some truth to that. The pastor I grew up under, he used to always, he, he had a way of taking uh, sayings and then making them not fun anymore. <laughs> He's just like that. And he, he used to say, well, no, that's not true. God helps those that can't help themselves. And I, I believe that's true as well, don't you? God helps us. I couldn't help myself when I was lost and undone without Christ. I couldn't save myself. I couldn't do nothing for myself. He had to reach down to where I was at and pick me up out of it. He helps those that can't help themselves. But do you know in a sense that they're both true? And you say, well, what do you mean, preacher? Well, I believe this. And I believe this for the saved believer in their life as they're trying to serve God and to get things from God, to, to receive answered prayers, to live for Him. Listen to me. We do what we can. God will do what we can't. You hear me tonight? We do what we can. God does what we can't. You've heard the story before, haven't you? I know you have. I've told it to you before. You've heard about the man that was out in the middle of the ocean and he was drowning. And as he was out in the middle of the ocean, he cried out and he said, Oh, Lord, please save me. And as he's there out in the ocean, all of a sudden, he hears in the distance the roar of the motor of a boat. And all of a sudden, here comes this Coast Guard boat and comes up and slides right along beside this man and throws down a life preserver to him and says, Grab on! We're here to save you. And he says, No, no thank you. No thank you. I'm waiting on the Lord to save me. 
So the boat says, well, we can't make you get in, so they go on. He prays and says, God, I'm waiting on you to save me. I'm waiting on you to save me. And all of a sudden, he, he starts to hear the familiar sound of a chopper coming overhead. And the man in that chopper, they let down the ladder and they begin to climb down to where he's at. And he gets where he's at. He says, listen, grab my arm. Uh, we've only got so much fuel. We've got to get you out of here. And he looks at him and says, no, thank you. No, thank you. I'm waiting on God to save me. You know what happened to that man, Brother Ralph? He drowned. <laughs> he drowned. He died. And he gets to heaven. He looks at the Lord. He says, I don't understand, God. I don't understand. I prayed. I asked you. Why didn't you answer? The Lord looked at him and said, well, I sent a boat. And I sent a helicopter. And I... You see, he had done what that man couldn't, but that man wouldn't do what he could. You understand what I'm saying? It's all good to pray for things, but when we're not doing everything we can, when we're not, you know, I've, I've heard this before. I've heard people say, well, I'm praying for my loved one. Well, are you witnessing your loved one? Oh, I knew that sting. You're praying for your, and listen, pray for him. God bless you. We all need to pray for our loved ones that need Christ. But you're praying for him. Are you witnessing to him? Well, I'm waiting for somebody more capable. Well, let them die and go to hell while they're waiting on somebody more capable. But the truth of the matter is, you know the gospel just as I do, just as a preacher or a missionary would. The same gospel that saved you can save them. Uh, it probably wasn't no uh, prize-winning theologian that led you to Christ. Most of us would have to admit it was a Sunday school teacher, it was a vacation Bible school worker, it was a, uh, an aunt or an uncle or a grandma or grandpa or mom or daddy or somebody that the world would look at and say they're underqualified and they're unfit, but they took the gospel and gave it to you and you trusted Christ. All the time, we'll pray, God, save them, save them, save them. We'll see them at reunions, we won't say anything. God, save them, we'll see them at Thanksgiving, we won't say anything. God, save them, we'll see them at Christmas time, we won't say anything. You see, that's being unstable. It's being double-minded. When we're in the prayer closet, we've got a mind to see them come to know Christ, but then when we're at the dinner table, we don't have that mind. Or when we're praying for God to deliver in a matter, uh, we pray, we got, uh, how many of y'all are broke? Raise your hand. Yeah, some of y'all put both of them up. And we're praying for God to, to meet with us in a financial sense. I believe God does that. I don't, believe God, I don't believe God's primary concern is our finances, but I believe God's concerned with every element of our life. We can pray and ask God to meet with us and to deliver, but then we go out and blow our money. You think God's going to honor that? Well, I know. I knew it would be like this, but that's okay. I'm speaking truth to you tonight. You see, we do what we can, and He'll do what we can't. We do what God's enabled us to do, and He'll do what we're unable to do. God's able to do these things. So we see that this, uh, the first situation of people, are people that are, uh, they are, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I walked away from my notes. The relationship is unstable. Turn with me to chapter number 4. Chapter number 4. I'm just going to try to give these to you quick. You know, I say things like that to keep you going during these long messages. James chapter number 4, and uh, I want to just read the first three verses. The Bible says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Verse number 3, notice this, ye ask. We're talking about why we don't receive answers to our prayers. Verse number three or verse number two says you have not because you ask not. So that's not saying why we haven't received answers to our prayer. That's saying we haven't even prayed. Verse number three says you ask and receive not. Why? Because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. One of the reasons that God doesn't answer prayers is because our relationship is unstable, but another is because our request is unspiritual. 
You know, sometimes God not answering is the best thing that could ever happen to us. If I got everything I wanted, I'd probably be a mess. I'd probably be a wreck. I'm not against money. We need money to live. I'm not. If you've got a bunch of it, give me a little bit. That doesn't bother me a little bit. I, I, I don't have a problem with money, but have you ever noticed, and even the Bible speaks this effect, that usually people with great wealth, unless they have a particularly close relationship with God, are the most miserable people? Why? They've got everything they want, and they realize that after they've got everything they want, none of it was what they needed. God doesn't just know what we want. He knows what we need. And as we pray and ask God for things, sometimes we're asking amiss. And I thought about three reasons it could be amiss. I'd say, first off, one of the reasons it could be amiss is because our request is driven by sin. Driven by sin. We're asking for God for something that's sinful. Listen to what it says. And we're right there in James. Well, I won't have you turn there to chapter number 1 and verse 13. It says, Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Now, some of you are going to say, Oh, well, the Bible says that God tempted Abraham. But read your Bible carefully. Because God knew we'd say that. God knew how carnal we are. So He put in James 1.13 that little word evil. God tempteth no man with evil. In other words, not to say that God doesn't test and try people, but what it does say is this, that God never dangles sin in front of a person to try to get them to do wrong. He never does that. And so now, let me ask you this. If God would not tempt us with evil, what makes you think He would answer us with evil? Sometimes the very reason, sometimes the things that we want are sinful. The things we desire are sinful. We may not even really be aware that they're sinful, but do you know one of the greatest and vastest sins in humanity today is that of idolatry? Sometimes we want something and we know we're going to make an idol out of it. God says, I'm not going to give it to you because I know what you'd do with it. I know what you'd do with it. It's funny to me, and I, and I'm not, I promise you, I'm, I'm not preaching to, to anybody that's not here. I'm preaching to the people that are here, and I'm not grinding any axes or uh, picking any bones. I promise you not. But isn't it funny? People work their entire lives. And some of you, you've worked your entire lives. And you do that, and you've got everything paid off, and you begin to buy the toys, and you begin to buy the, the boats and the campers and the RVs and things like this. God bless you for that. Nothing wrong with that. But isn't it funny that the very thing that God's blessed us our whole life to enable us to have sometimes becomes the biggest idol to us because we start spending Sundays at the lake. We start being gone all the time when we should be in the house of God. You say, preacher, you got no right. Well, tell God he's got no right. You think that doesn't upset God? When the very thing he blessed us with is the very thing that we use to get more distant from him, God has a problem with that. You know, he's liable to take it away from us. He can and he will. He's liable to take it away from us. Sometimes it's because it's driven by sin, but sometimes then it's because our prayers are driven by spite. I, I know you're more spiritual than me, so you ain't never prayed this way, but you ever, maybe you have. You ever prayed and said, God, get them? Now, Christ died for them. What makes you think He'd be interested in, quote-unquote, getting them? He died for them. We've got to learn to look at people with compassion. Now, this is a rare moment, friend, for a Baptist preacher to be talking about compassion. So take a picture, amen? Usually we're all mean people, right? Well, let me tell you something about compassion. Compassion does not look at where a person's at. It looks where you were and sees in that person where they're at where you once were. That's what compassion does. Compassion looks at them and does not see uh, their faults against you. It looks at them and sees their forgiveness from the Savior. That's what compassion does. 
And you know, a lot of times we're praying and, and we really, boy, we're, human beings are manipulative creatures. You know it. We're all, and sometimes we try to manipulate God. You know, we pray like He doesn't really know what we're up to, Nathan. We pray and we'll ask Him, we'll say, well, Lord, I just want you to do it so you can humble them. And that's not what we mean. We want to do it so it'll puff us up and lift us up, make us look like we're right. And like they're wrong, vindicate us. Uh, you know that there's nothing wrong with vindication except it belongs to the Lord. That's what God said. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. I promise you, friend, there's coming a day God's going to set everything right. But we need to get to the place where when we pray that God would get a hold of somebody, it's not because we want to see ourselves vindicated. It's because we want to see them closer to the Savior. I would say that sometimes it's driven by sin, but you know, sometimes it's just plain old driven by selfishness. Now, this is, this is going, if you've got feathers, they're going to get, get ruffled, and if you've got a cage, I'm about to rattle it, so listen carefully. Do you know that even the things that we desire for ourselves, we ought to desire them that we might be able to glorify God thereby? You know what the psalmist said in Psalms chapter number 37? It says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Does that mean that a man that delights in the Lord is going to get everything that he wants? No, what it means is that the man that delights in the Lord is going to get a new set of wants. I remember hearing a preacher say, well, was old Brother Lester Roloff, you've listened to him on the radio, I'm sure that you have. I was listening to Brother Lester preach one time, and he said, I do all the drinking that I want to. He said, I do all the gambling that I want to. I do all the whoremongering that I want to. He said, the difference is when I got saved, God changed my want to. Gave me a new set of desires, a new set of wants. Do you know that when we submit ourselves to the Lord, do you know that He superimposes His will upon ours? It's not that He does away with our free will, but it's that He, by His magnificent grace, causes us to see the things in our life uh, that we need that we might greater glorify Him. Listen to me, if you drew a breath this morning, it was so you could praise God. If your legs functioned this morning, it was so you could walk to the glory of God. If your refrigerator had food in it, it's so that you might eat and give praise to God. If your truck had gas in it, it's so you might get to the house of God. And praise Lord. I'm saying everything in your life is there so that we might praise God. It's all for His glory, all for His honor. That's why we exist. The book of Ephesians says that we, that we are here to be found under the praise of His glory. That's why we exist. That's why you draw breath. Why do you think it was when the psalmist uh, prayed in Psalms 23, he said, uh, Lead me in paths of righteousness for thy name's sake. He didn't say, lead me in paths of righteousness that I understand. Lead me in paths of righteousness that are easy. Lead me in paths of righteousness that are palatable. He said, lead me in paths of righteousness for thy name's sake. Lord, I'm here for your glory. I'm here for your honor. It's been, it's been a long time since the majority of Christianity, Bible Christianity has asked itself, is what I'm doing glorifying God or bringing shame to Him? You know what we ask? Whenever somebody says, this is how y'all live, we always say, well, you got Bible for that? I understand that. I understand that. But let me ask you something about the way that you're living. You got Bible for that? You got Bible for that? I mean, we always want to make God put us right down to the letter. We always want to make God force us to do something. Instead of asking, you know, maybe I should ask, is what I'm doing glorifying Him? Don't ask if God's going to lay the strap across your back over something. Ask Him if He'd put a crown on your head over something. Don't, don't ask Him if He'd whip you over it. Ask Him if He would welcome you and say, Well done, thy good and faithful servant, over it. Ask yourself, does this bring glory 
to God. Sometimes we don't want things for that reason. We want them for selfish reasons. And, and I understand, do you know that God's not against praying for things that we want? But we can glorify God with those things that we have, that we have desired, if we're willing to do so. God's blessed me and my family with two working vehicles. You say, that ain't much of a blessing. Well, you've never been without one then. They're not the newest. They're not the prettiest. Uh, they don't always run right. Sometimes they, you know, sometimes they, you know, run like they got the palsy or something. But do you know that I could, I have a choice with those cars. I could use them to go and do things that are unrighteous and that would bring shame to the name of Jesus Christ. Now, I wanted those cars. I prayed for those cars. When we was looking for cars, I prayed and I, I didn't, and I'm not trying to lift myself up. I'm being honest with you tonight. I didn't pray and ask for what I wanted. I prayed and I said, Lord, I know you got a vehicle for us. And I pray that we get the vehicle that you have prepared for us. And God give us those vehicles. And I mean, he, we paid a little bit for them. Probably didn't pay. Most of y'all probably, your house payment cost more one of them than what we had to pay for them. But, but we got those cars and they, they run and they go. And I got a choice now. I wanted those, didn't I? But was that a selfish desire to want those cars? No, it wasn't selfish. Because I had a desire to glorify God through them and with them. Now we have the opportunity, I can go to the hospitals and I can visit, I can be at church, not on time necessarily, but I can be at church and be in the house of God. What I'm saying is this, it's not that God doesn't give us material things, it's that if God gives you something material, it's for the purpose that you might praise and glorify Him through having. Sometimes it's because their requests are unspiritual. But I want you to turn with me to chapter 5, chapter number 5, and I'm just going to run through these. Chapter number 5, and look at verse number 13. And I just want to read three verses here. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because our relationship is unstable. Sometimes it's because our request is unspiritual. But look what it says. Now, you're not going to see this when I first say it, but you'll see it in a moment, so pay attention carefully. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Don't let that make you nervous either. That's Bible right there. That's not saying that that, that, that old virgin olive oil's got the ability to heal anyone. It says the prayer of faith shall save the sick. But it is scriptural to do that. Uh, that, that oil doesn't have any, any healing or salvitic qualities or healing properties to it. No more than the baptism water would have in salvation, but they're pictures. And so the Bible exhorts us to, to use them. Verse 15 says, "...and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him." Verse 16, isn't this an unusual verse to be added here? "...confess your faults one to another." And pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Isn't that interesting that that is found there? But there's an overall theme that I want you to get. Some people don't get their prayers answered because their relationship with Christ is unstable. Some people it's because their request is unspiritual. But listen, some people it's because their rifts are unsettled. You see, if you read this passage carefully, what you find it to be is a picture or a, a glimpse into the relationship and fellowship found in the local New Testament church. 
And what James says to these people, the prayer request that is being dealt with here is that of a sick person praying and asking God to heal them. But could I say that this is true of any prayer request, the same things could be said about them. And it says that you're to go to the elders and, uh, you know, ask them to come and to anoint you and so on and so forth. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. But notice what it says in verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Let me give you three things that I believe God needs out of our life. Is he, if He's able to freely uh, and, and, and generously answer prayers in a big way. I want to give you the first one is that their fellowship must be consistent. Now, you say, preacher, I don't see that in this passage. Well, now read verse 14 once again. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Around here, I don't ever go to someone and ask them if they'd like to be anointed with oil. I never do that because it's not biblical. The Bible says, let him that is sick... Do this. You say, why? Because if something's going to heal him, it'll be the prayer of faith. His prayer of faith. You can gather people together and you could dunk them in a bathtub of oil and it would not heal them. It's the prayer of faith. When God chooses to heal in response to our faith, He can do this. But if the person uh, that is being anointed has no faith and they don't believe that God's able to heal them, it's going to be to no avail. So I never go to people. But that tells me something. If this is going to take place, they're going to have to come to me. Now, I'm going to tell you something. There's been a lot of strange requests I've had in the short time that I've pastored. But do you know that I've never had anyone that was teetotally out of church come to me and ask for this? Do you know why? Because it's usually they would feel too self-conscious and too embarrassed. Most of the people that would come to you and ask you for this, listen carefully, are people that are faithful and plugged in in the church that God has placed them in. You see, this is the exhortation that you give someone that sees the elders very often, that speaks to them very often. It does not say to write the elders. It says call the elders. Now, they didn't have telephones back then. At least if they did, we've missed something. (laughs) So what it's saying is this. James is saying, next time that you see them, because I know you're going to see them again and see them soon, call for the elders. He's saying you need to have regular fellowship with the believers around you. And could I say this? Sometimes God can't answer our prayers because if He did, He would be endorsing our unfaithfulness to the house of God. I'm not saying God's never answered the prayer of someone that's out of church. I'm not saying that God has never answered the prayer of someone that had a problem with another believer. But I'm merely saying this, that I believe it can be a cause of God not being able to answer prayer. You see, I've got a feeling, Brother Ralph, that this sick person, if they had a rift with their church brethren, they probably couldn't go to the elders, could they? I have a feeling if they were living in open sin and had been asked to not be a part of that body, uh, that they probably, they, they wouldn't have any way to ask or to call for the church elders. This is the picture of someone that's faithful in the house of God. Their fellowship must be consistent. Notice number two, that their faults must be confessed. I'm going to be honest with you. I read this verse different than I've ever read it before as I prepared for this sermon. I've always considered this passage to be speaking of our weaknesses one towards another. And I believe there's some truth to that. But I began to think about this word fault. And it was one of those things that was you couldn't see the forest for the trees. I believe there's a connotation in this verse that we can understand. That when it says confess your faults one to another... What it's saying is the fault 
that lays on your shoulders for something you've done to someone around you. See, I don't believe it's just saying confess your weaknesses. Because God didn't say confess your weaknesses. It's saying if you've done wrong to somebody, own up to it and ask their forgiveness. No telling how many times God would love, love, love to answer prayers in our life. But there's ought between us and someone else. Do you know, I'll just read it. I'll let the Word of God say it to you. Look what it says, and you don't have to turn there, but you can if you'd like. In Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, verse number 23, it says, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar. Now, what are they doing? They're sacrificing. They're wanting to give something to God, and the altar was a place not only of sacrifice, but of supplication, of fellowship with God. Saying, if you bring your gift to the altar... And there rememberest, now listen to this carefully, that thy brother hath ought against thee. It does not say that thou hast ought against thy brother. It's not saying if you get to the altar and realize that you're angry at someone else. It's saying if you get to the altar and realize somebody else is angry with you. It's not saying if you get to the altar and realize you have bitterness because of the way somebody else did you. It's saying if you get to the altar and realize somebody else might have bitterness because of the way you've done them. Notice what it says. Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. I think there's a lot of times God loved to answer something. But there's a wedge between us and another believer. We've done someone wrong. We're too prideful to own up to it and to ask forgiveness. And God can't answer prayers that He'd love to answer because He'd be condoning our disobedience and our irreverence towards Him. We, all, we talk a lot about us forgiving other people. And we're going to talk about that in a split second. But let me tell you something. You've done someone wrong, you ought to own up to it and ask for their forgiveness. You see, because of the example of forgiveness that Christ gave us on Calvary, in church we talk a lot about forgiving others that haven't asked for forgiveness. But for some reason along the way, we don't talk quite as much about if you've done somebody wrong. Like it or lump it. You ought to go to them and admit, confess your faults. One to another. So I'm sorry I did you that way. Would you forgive me? I'm sorry I said what I said about you. Would you forgive me? I'm sorry I was unkind towards you. Would you forgive me? Now some of you are sitting there thinking, well, so-and-so did this and they haven't done that. Well, do they know? Do they know? And I'm not saying we need to have big row and a big, big fist fight, but I'm saying this. You ought to do someone the courtesy of saying, listen, not in a mean way, not in an ugly way, but going to them and saying, listen, I, I'm sure you didn't mean nothing by it, but you said this and it hurt me. And I just wanted you to be aware of it because I don't want you to have your relationship with the Lord hindered. I, I, I forgive you, but I want you to be aware of it. You know, I found as a pastor... 99% of the blow-ups that people have with each other could be avoided if there was just a touch of honesty. There's just a touch of honesty. People would go to one another and say, listen, what you said hurt me. I love you, but it hurt me. And allow that person the opportunity. And listen, if somebody comes to you and says that, don't, don't bow up on them. Remember what Christ did for you. Look at them and say, well, I'm sorry, I never meant to hurt you. You'd be amazed the things we could fix if we'd just talk. You know how many people leave and get out of church because they didn't want to talk, so they just left. They didn't want to talk, so they just left. Too embarrassed to talk, maybe. Knew they was wrong, maybe, whatever it is. But just left. And to this day, are still out of the house of God. 
Their fellowship is inconsistent because their faults are unconfessed. We see that faults must be confessed. And finally, that forgiveness must be committed. It says pray one for another. Pray one for another. You don't pray for somebody that you haven't forgiven, Brother Ralph. You may have kind of a show prayer, or you may have one of these prayers that puffs up your flesh, but you don't sincerely pray for someone if you've got bitterness towards them. You can't. You'll pray one of those spiteful prayers, but you won't pray a sincere prayer. It says earnestly. Isn't that what it says in our text? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And the Bible speaks of praying in earnest, honest, genuine, sincere. And I believe with all my heart, and you don't have to believe it if you don't want, but the Bible says if I, that if I do not forgive my brethren, my heavenly Father is not obligated to forgive me. You say, does that mean, does that mean that I'm going to die and go to hell if I have not forgive somebody? No, that's not what it means. It's talking about the fellowship. It's not talking about your position in Christ. It's talking about your fellowship with Him. And it's saying this, you can ask God to forgive you all you want, but if you've got bitterness towards someone else, don't expect God to forgive you and restore that fellowship like it once was until the bitterness or the unforgiveness is dealt with that you have towards someone else. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. There's not much worse sin than unforgiveness, is there? Than bitterness, than anger, malice, clamor, wrath, all these works of the flesh that Galatians talks about. And they all go back to this matter of unforgiveness. Maybe you've been praying for something for a long time. I believe tonight would be a good night to come to an altar and to say, Lord, maybe God's already dealt with you about something. And if He has, you ought to get down and confess it before God. And if it's something you need to confess to someone else, you ought to do that. But maybe you'd say, I don't know if there's any of these things. It'd be a good night to come down and say, Lord, I don't know, but I want to know. And I want to see to it that my heart is pure before you.